On today's episode, what Brody has learned from patellar tendinopathy. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. second addition to this new series that's coming out every Monday and it has been the lessons that I have learned from being injured myself. I have several of them, especially as I started out as a new runner. Uh, Last episode, we touched base on the very first symptoms I had, which was calf tightness and uh, a lot of calf soreness as they were not used to the endurance I was putting it through as I became a new runner. And so if you haven't listened to that one, please go back and we'll follow my journey as I um, picked up the endurance and picked up my ability to run further and further and learning a whole bunch of lessons along the way. So this one will be um, a patellar tendinopathy and it's, it's one that if you have had a tendinopathy before, or if you want to learn more about tendinopathies, um, around prevention, that kind of thing, this will apply to a lot of people. Patellar tendinopathy isn't that common in runners, but the same rules apply to a lot. So you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. Before we dive into it, I did mention last week I had a new running goal and it was to try and run 5Ks in uh, under 20 minutes. So like trying to keep under a four minute pace. And yeah, so... um, to date, I actually went out, I wanted to try a 5k, I guess, um, time trial to see how I'd go and see where I'm currently at. But because I haven't done it in such a long time, I've been making smarter training decisions and thought that I'll start with a 3k time trial and see how my body reacts because I haven't done, the only speed work I've done in the last couple of weeks has been, or the last couple of months would be um, on and off 1k kind of time trials. So I'll do a 1k time trial and then I'll take a rest a couple of minutes and repeat that, you know, four or five times, or I guess maybe two times. And on each side of that, there would be a warm up and a cool down, that sort of thing. Um, So I haven't really pushed myself to run at that speed for a very long period of time. So making the smart decision, I did three Ks. I did that um, three days ago now. And my first K was uh, four minutes, one second. My second K was, I think, four minutes, four or four minutes, five seconds. And then the last K was three minutes, 
58, something like that, I could definitely tell I was starting to slow down in the last couple hundred meters. So I definitely wouldn't be able to keep up that pace, but I was quite proud of myself. So I'm keeping at my, I guess, goal pace and I managed to get to three Ks, but my goal now being to see if I can achieve that same pace for five Ks, still keeping up my strength work. I did my really heavy calf raises with a slightly bent knee on a step. I'm still continuing to do that. Um, Started doing that maybe about six, seven weeks ago. Um, My last set was yesterday and feeling uh, a bit of doms in the Achilles and the the calf muscles, which is really nice. Um, So I'll continue to work on that. Upped the weights on my lunges, my weighted lunges that I do at home. So following all these principles and trying to train as smart as I can and hopefully being a good example for you guys as well. Um, I'm definitely noticing a lot of benefits when I'm making these smarter train decisions. I haven't been, I haven't had any symptoms or signs of tightness or soreness for a couple of weeks, which is really, really good. Okay. So, um, yeah, I already talked about last episode. Let me go through my little run sheet. Uh, when I first developed this patellar tendinopathy, so this is the the big ligament that's on the very front of the knee that attaches your um, the kneecap to your um, shin bone. This kind of overlapped with the calf soreness. So the calf soreness that was in last episode probably took a couple of months for me to adapt, but it was in that time as well that I started getting this patellar tendinopathy. And it was actually diagnosed, well, I had that same issue in my basketball days. So growing up playing basketball, which is this condition is more common in jumpers like basketball, netball, volleyball, like the explosive, um, a lot of jumping. And so only makes sense that that was what I would get, um, playing basketball, but it was misdiagnosed for a very long time. People thought it was just kneecap pain, patellofemoral pain. We call it now. And it wasn't getting any better. Um, I think I did see a physio, and it was probably misdiagnosed and I just put up with it. The pain wasn't too bad. I st- once it warmed up, I was totally fine. So again, that's probably another sign of why it was a tendon, but I was just uh, oblivious to the tests and oblivious to interpreting those symptoms because I wasn't a physio at that stage or I might've been just starting um, my physio and things like taping things like stretching that weren't really helping. And I was kind of just like, oh, let me just keep playing. Anyway, that got a lot better, especially once I stopped playing basketball and uh, yeah, started running and it reared its ugly head and just appeared, which takes me to the first lesson that I've learned, which is that weak links will resurface. It's something that continues to lurk unless you address it directly Uh, and don't just remove that aggravating factor. I thought that my knee was better because I stopped playing basketball, but basketball was the aggravating factor. And so I can quickly assume that it's healed, that it's better. But as soon as I start running and challenging that tendon, here comes these symptoms again. So um, we want to make sure that we're addressing it. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Our weak links 
and we want to maintain an active rehab and we want to make sure that we're not just getting rid of these aggravating factors. And I've got a couple of examples here. So let's just say someone who has chronic calf issues or chronic Achilles issues and their solution is just to run at a slower and slower pace every time. What you're doing is removing the aggravating factor, which would be heels or um, say like flat shoes or speed. And because that would flare up the Achilles, but you can continue running and have like build up a nice mileage by just removing all of those and your Achilles be your calf and Achilles be nice and healthy. And you could correctly, you could probably interpret that, that my issue has gone away, but we're really just not challenging the, the calf and the Achilles in the same way. So as soon as you might do a little bit of a hill, as soon as you compete in a race that has an unpredictable like hill that you weren't planning for, it's going to rear its ugly head and that those symptoms are going to resurface. And it has a detrimental effect effect because as soon as you start removing all of those components, it slowly starts to atrophy and the capacity slow starts to slowly diminish. So we want to be very, very careful that we're um, tackling this head on and really addressing all of our weak links. Another example that I see is like just generic knee pain, like running will cause knee pain and you think that running uh, is bad for your knees. And so what you do is you stop running, the knee gets better. Um, and let's just say you start cycling and um, that's fine. You know, you keep going on about, uh, keep substituting the the running for cycling and the knee gets better, but then all of a sudden cycling starts to cause the knee pain. And so then you perhaps move to swimming or perhaps you move to some non-provocative like strength training. And then maybe a couple of years later, then that strength training is starting to cause knee pain and you find something else. What you're doing is just removing all of these aggravating factors instead of tackling it head on. Be careful of that. The other thing I can think of is probably a proximal hamstring tendinopathy when sitting can be really aggravating for these people. Uh, what people often do is just avoid sitting. And even once that tendon is better, they're very afraid and have a lot of apprehension to sitting. So they find how to get through their day without a lot of sitting. That's another thing that we particularly are avoiding. We're not tackling it head on. We're not training that tendon to tolerate compression, which is sitting or um, say uphill running, that kind of thing. So make sure in our rehab, we're tackling these weak links head on and we're tackling these aggravating factors with some nice active strength rehab. So lesson number one, make sure we're addressing those weak links and we're not just avoiding the aggravating factors. Lesson number two. So my first experience with isometrics, and this was kind of, I kind of accidentally discovered this when I was playing basketball. I'd noticed during my warmups, if I was to do some like lunges or some squats or some wall sits, that my tendon would be so much better in the, uh, in the first couple of minutes of the game. And this is what isometrics are. So loading up that tendon and holding that position. And that's what we call isometrics. And if someone does have a tendinopathy, particularly a lower limb tendinopathy, everyone kind of experiences this a little bit different, but for some people it can be super, super powerful, super effective. And while that tendon's warming up, if it's feeling particularly um, sore and irritated. If you do isometrics beforehand, it, it can 
um, reinvigorate a lot of power and reduce a lot of your symptoms uh, while that tendon's warming up and can be really, really helpful. So in my early days when this, when it was being misdiagnosed and weren't too sure what it was, um, this kind of, um, I should have really followed the clues and done my own research because as soon as I would do, uh, let's just say like hold a wall, a wall sit and really load up that tendon, I was feeling so much better while my tendon was quite cold and quite, um, I hadn't really warmed up yet. Like things like jumping, things like hopping would be really like sore. And I would, I'd feel like I wouldn't have the, the power to uh, do those activities. But as soon as I would do some isometrics, I would go back to uh, hopping and it wouldn't be as sore. And I'd feel like I'd slightly have a little bit more power. And then I'd do another set of wall sits or I'd try and do like some single leg wall sits. So trying to challenge it more and more once it's warming up more and more. And then I'd eventually get to a stage after about three sets where I'm hopping and I feel like I have the same amount of power as the opposite side and all my symptoms were completely alleviated. Now, that's just my experience. And for some, depending on the irritability of the tendon, it might not have that same dramatic effect. It might have a small impact or it might have a dramatic impact. It, it really depends on the individual. But that's the power that it had for me. And I really should have followed the clues because as soon as that happens, that means that it's a tendon. It doesn't mean that it's um, this patellofemoral pain. So um, looking back on it now, it makes a whole lot of sense. And my rehab and training through my season, my basketball season would have been a lot more um, effective. And I probably would have had a whole season symptom-free if I knew how to address that issue. But like I said, it was just um, misdiagnosed and mismanaged for a very long time. And this is where it gets into my my lesson number two. And it's the power of isometrics when it comes to tendons. Doing some pre-activation of those tendons before you go for a run is a really nice way. I think if you have listened to my past episode when I talked about my pes anserinus having six years of this tendinopathy, um, I was constantly working on these pre-activation exercises, sometimes in the middle of my run and most often before my run, sometimes after my run. I was really focusing on this because I know that I respond really well to these isometrics and pre-activation exercises when my tendons are particularly sore. Uh, so, And like these days, when it comes to this pes anserina stuff, I don't need to do any pre-activation exercises because I feel like... Um, I just don't get any stiffness. I don't get any soreness in that tendon anymore, which I'm thankful for every day after suffering it for six years. Um, if you had another tendinopathy, let's just say in the hip, uh, you can do things like hip hikes, like really load up and do like a hip hike or hip hitches. People tend to call it as well, but hold it in an isometric state. So it's almost like you're standing on one leg, but you're raising your opposite hip. You can YouTube it if you're, um, a bit unsure of what the exercise is. So that's a really nice isometric exercise for runners before they start running. If they do have some sort of hip or glute medius tendinopathy, the Achilles tendon would be just to do like a calf raise, but just stay at that mid range. So you probably want to do it off a step so that your heel is off that step and holding onto some weights and just applying load to that tendon while that foot stays still, um, while that heel stays off that step is, is a nice one. 
and I guess for proximal hamstring tendinopathy, some isometric exercises for that. Some that I like to do outside of compression would be, let's just say you want to do a bridge. So you lie down on your back on the ground, um, your knees are bent and you do a bridge. That could be quite nice. And to challenge the tendon more, you might want to walk your heels further away from your body and hold that bridge the further and further those feet are away from the body, the more your hamstrings are going to be required and just hold that bridge in a nice high position and those tendons will activate pretty nicely. You could do a single leg bridge if you want, if you really want to challenge that tendon, but there are some really nice examples of other tendons um, that aren't necessarily around the knee. So that really helped me doing some isometrics before run and um, sometimes after run really helped my rehab and really um, ensured that my symptoms would be stable and my symptoms would be quite low when I was running, which takes me into my next point, which is my third lesson that I have for you today, which is you don't necessarily need to be at a zero level of pain or symptoms in order to continue running. And I've played around with this idea a lot within within this podcast in other episodes. And this, like I said, uh, this really helped my basketball career it really helped warming up those tendons really pre-activating those exercises and even if I had like a one or two out of 10 pain that was fine I'd warm up I'd feel okay and the next day I'd be totally fine and I pretty much got through a whole basketball season this is um, when I was playing um, in like a quite elite level Uh, I got through a whole basketball season and my knee didn't get worse I knew it was quite sore when I first started warming up but week over week, my symptoms weren't getting worse and I probably should have done more to activate it. Maybe if I had the correct diagnosis, I'd take better steps, but it goes to show that we really want to pay attention to, well, our goal shouldn't be to get symptoms completely down to zero in order to return back to sport or return back to running. And it takes me back to uh, episode four, I think it was in our first season, it's called sleep on it and paying attention to symptoms over 24 hours. We want to make sure as a general rule for tendons, when we do run, we want to make sure that we take a couple of snapshots, um, a couple of time frames. We want to make sure what the symptoms feel like when you first start running, what the symptoms feel like when you continue your run, once you've cooled down and definitely the next morning when you first wake up, is that tendon more stiff and more sore than usual if it is then it means we've overdone it but if it's at the same kind of baseline levels that you're used to or if not a little bit less it means that we've tolerated the load over the last 24 hours really really well so pay attention to that there was a really nice study in 2007 Sil was the um the lead author and the title, which was a little bit of a wor- uh, wordy title, continued sports activity using a pain monitoring model during rehab in patients with Achilles tendinopathy. And they looked at 38 um, participants, 38 runners with Achilles tendinopathy, and then they randomly allocated them into two groups. And those two groups did an identical rehab program, except the first group followed this what we call pain monitoring model. And they were instructed on a couple of things and I'll I'll read this out. So pain was allowed to reach a level of five out of 10 where zero is no pain and 10 is the worst pain imaginable. So they were allowed to reach five out of 10 during exercise training. The pain after exercise was allowed to reach a five 
but should have subsided by the following morning. So pain and stiffness in the Achilles should not be allowed. Uh, Also, the pain and stiffness in the Achilles tendon were not allowed to increase week over week. So we're having a look at the little snapshot day to day, but then we're also taking a step back and looking over it week to week. So five out of ten is like quite a considerable amount um, on the on the analog scale. I I like to perhaps um, be a little bit more conservative and aim around that three or four out of ten pain. Um, so that was the first group, but the second group was just avoiding pain, uh, avoiding things that caused pain in the first six weeks. And so what did they find? So the results showed that both groups showed the same amount of improvements at the same rate, and that goes to show not well. It, it shows a couple of things. One, that exercise through pain doesn't make things worse. That's a big finding. And we're continuing um, to maintain your fitness levels and avoid deconditioning of other structures along that way because we're not completely resting in that in the first couple of weeks. We're um, maintaining a nice level of fitness, going through a few higher levels of pain. We're not Everything isn't zero, but we're at least maintaining a good level of fitness, which runners always love. So the takeaway should be that we shouldn't be so apprehensive to load the tendons into low levels of pain if it's remaining stable over 24 hours. Really important that it needs to remain stable over the, uh, across until the next morning. And we need to make sure that that pain is subsiding week over week um, to make sure that the tendon is responding really well to the load we're putting it through. So that can be really encouraging. And if you're doing a tendon rehab as well, if you're doing Achilles or um, high hamstring or knee tendons, any sort of rehab, don't be so apprehensive um, to, to push through a little bit of pain during that exercise. If it's a slow and controlled exercise uh, and you're trying to aim for zero, you're not really going to get the necessary weight that's required for a real adequate rehab. And a lot of times with the runners I work with, I've encouraged them to do go through a, a level three, four out of 10 pain when they do their particular exercise and then see how they feel afterwards and then see how they feel the next morning. In some circumstances, they might feel worse the next morning and we need to back off the, the dosage, maybe keep the same weight, but reduce the amount of reps. But we're constantly paying attention and we're um, encouraging the athlete that pain levels, low levels of pain through the exercise and through your running can be okay. So a little bit of a recap for my lessons on patellar tendinopathy. So the first lesson is always address your weak links because they will resurface as soon as you start to challenge that structure again. The weak links um, shouldn't be addressed by just avoiding those aggravating factors and just changing things that aggravate. So that's lesson number one. Lesson number two was the power of isometrics when it comes to having uh, a tendinopathy really try it out and see if it works for you because it can be a game changer for most in terms of reducing pain but also returning a lot of confidence returning a lot of power when you start running or start doing your um, aggravating activities they can also be good for just before doing your rehab exercises if your exercises do require some heavy stuff maybe um, a little bit of power-based stuff doing some isometrics beforehand can be really effective and then the last lesson that we learned today not being so apprehensive to to push through low levels of pain make sure that we're paying attention to symptoms over 24 hours and we're paying attention to symptoms week over week but it's really nice um, and you start loading the tendon 
uh, more, more effectively if we're keeping to low levels of pain. There we have it. Um, I will be releasing our next uh, episode through this series next Monday. The interviews will still come um, every, it's going to almost be every second episode that comes out. So I will schedule one out this Friday, uh, a fantastic interview that I'll, I'll um, do. I'm not going to give too much away. I'm just going to leave the suspense there, but the following Monday you will receive another what uh, another episode on what Brody has learned. So until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Run Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running. If you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating, it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury-specific insights, and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.